you're listening to the Omega Church Sermon of the Week. Be sure to subscribe to this channel to stay up to date with our latest teachings and feel free to reach out to us via our Facebook page or website. As you listen to this message, we pray God will reveal himself to you in a fresh way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us show some excitement. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is a good one. <laughs> I tell you, we should be excited about God all the time. So there's no excuse for us not to be excited. Because he is the one who loves us and he provides everything that we have, everything we have, everything we are going to have, it is from God. So we are doing a series on Psalms. So today we are going to study Psalm 46. I put the caption there. God is with us, Emmanuel. This word you'll see in the Hebrew when you read Psalm 46. It says, Elohim Immanu. That means God is with us. In fact, when Isaiah talks about the Messiah to be born, he gives the same name, Emmanuel. El is God. God is with us. So this is a very important thing uh, that we realize that God is with us. Any morning you get up and you think you are alone, you are the most miserable person in the world because you are without help. But if you wake up, you open your eyes and say, God is with me, that day will go smooth. Why? Because you are partnering with God, you are life. So we need to have that sense of God with us all the time. But the question is, will trouble come to righteous people? Will trouble come to good people? So you ask your neighbor who is sitting, sitting close to you and say, will bad things happen to good people? Can bad things happen to godly people? Ask the same question. <laughs> I tell you, the word is full of, when you look into the Bible, you see many bad things happen to good people. But where is God? If God is with us, why does it happen? That's the question. So I hope this morning study will encourage you as, you as we go through it. And one of the secrets to know when bad things happen is to be still and know that I am God. Amen. Hallelujah. All that you need to do is do what? Be still. Now what does be still mean? Yeah, when you look into the uh, Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, it says, relax. Take a hand off. Whatever is the problem, take a hand off the problem. Relax. Be still. And when you do that, then you will know that God is the one who, is, who really is the one who is in control of your life. And he will rescue you, he will deliver you from whatever is pursuing you, whatever is threatening your life. And when I say the word threatening, I tell you, the problem can be as severe as threatening your own bread and water. It can be as threatening as threatening your own health, immobilizing you or incapacitating you. Whatever it is, when God is with us, we shall be victorious. Just say to your neighbor, when God is with us, we shall be victorious. There's no excitement. <laughs> Why is there no excitement? If God is with you, you are going to victory. There should be excitement when you say it, isn't it? Let's say it again. When, if God is with us, we shall be victorious. Amen. Amen. See, why do we have to, why do we have to uh, tell to someone or to yourself these things? Why do you have to make the proclamations? The proclamation is, two, it works two ways. One, you are agreeing with what God is saying. Two, it is prophetic. It is like a prophecy. You, when you release the word, the word becomes very powerful. So you have to say it with your mouth. And that there is power in it. And I tell you, even when I am standing here and preaching, I don't want my message to be information from Ramana to everybody. No. I want what I speak to be words of God coming out of my lips that impart life to those who listen. A solution to those who are in trouble. 
and it should be a showing light to those who are in darkness. That is, the, that is what preaching is all about. Preaching is not about a lot of Bible knowledge that I have, so I know it, you have to know it, so I stand here to teach you. It's not, that's not the point here. The point here is that you should meet with God through the preaching of the word. And you must be able to agree with it and say, I need it, I receive it, I need it, I receive it, I say it, I receive it. Did not Jesus say, when you say with your mouth and do not doubt, it will, it will be yours. Whatever you ask, it will be yours. But without saying, how are you going to get it? If you speak to the mountain, be uprooted, go cast yourself in the sea, it is going to obey. The mountain will obey and be moved. But if you don't say, how will the mountain move? Mountain is still waiting for you to say something. Whatever mountain you have in your life, it is just strong and solid and waiting for you. When is this man going to say? When is this woman going to say, command this mountain to move out of her life? Command the mountain to move out of his life? That mountain is waiting to hear your word. When you say it, it will uproot itself and go cast itself in the sea. So the preaching has to be both. Not only I make the proclamation, not only I make the uh, assertion, affirmation, you say it and you receive it. Amen? Amen. The preaching should be both ways. It's not just about myself giving information. It's not that. I don't want it to be that way. You have to receive the word and agree with it and say it with your mouth. It is yours. It is yours. So when you look into Psalm 46, it says, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. So Bible scholars disagree on who wrote it. But some scholars, they think it could be written at a time when Hezekiah the king was going through troublesome times in his own life. He was a king who was one of the best kings after King David. One of the best kings. He followed God with all his heart like his great-grandfather, King David, did. Later on, you see his son Manasseh was the most worst. Even his father, Ahaz, was a very worst king. Why? He not only closed the temple, he desecrated it and closed the temple. He didn't want to have anything to do with Yahweh. But this man, he inherited certain things. One of the things he inherited is a bad father, his decision, his lifestyle, his impact on the kingdom, he's inheriting as a king. Now, how do you fight when people are worshipping idols everywhere in the kingdom? And you want to say, please stop this. I want you to worship one God. And that place God has chosen is Jerusalem, in this temple. And you need to come here and worship God. Do you think it's easy for people to say, yeah, king is saying, let's stop worshiping all the places, let's go to one place. Is it easy? No. But he took it on his, himself. The day he was anointed as king, he took it into his hand to go around the whole nation, the whole of the country, and remove every high place where people are offering incense and sacrifices. He desecrated them. And he told them, Israel, you have to listen to this voice. Your God is in Jerusalem. The temple is the place where he put his name. His glory lives there. So you have to come here to worship. And when he did that, not only people in Judah, but even people in, uh, in Israel, that is up north, they heard it and they started coming to worship God on certain days in, the, in a year. That means he is a king who initiated religious reform. A revival came through this man. One man. But let's not forget when you have a one man who is devoted to please God, to do what God wants, there has to be a support. The support is the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah was a man who was a prophet for four kings, beginning with Uzziah, uh, Uzziah who died, and he had a revelation of God seated in the, in the temple. And now, during Hezekiah's father's time, that temple is closed. The temple is closed. So there is a critical situation in the country. The religion has died. The religion has died. And now this king takes over to revive this religion with the help of the prophet Isaiah. So if there is a prophet he's speaking, it is impacting one man, Hezekiah. And that man is obeying the heart of God through this prophet. And both of them together are fighting the idolatry in the country and turning the hearts of the people to turn to God living God. Do you think it's an exciting thing to hear and read about it? 
As I was meditating, I said, this is awesome. This is awesome. We need this message in the church today because some churches, they have, they have, they have everything going, but there's no life in it. It's, it's more closer to idolatry than worshiping a living God. So we need revival in our own church. So who is King Hezekiah? King of Judah who ruled between 715 B.C. to 690 B.C. Who clung to Yahweh completely. 2 Kings 18 chapter verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. No king of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him. He kept the commandments that the Lord had given Moses. Now when you use the word Moses there, how many years has already passed since Moses gave his words? Nearly 800,000 years. So he is now going back to the word that Moses has given and he's trying to obey it, making people obey it. So that is, that is what he's trying to do. 2 Kings 18.7 And the Lord was with Hezekiah and he prospered wherever he went. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and refused to serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its borders, from Watchtower to Fortified City. Now, during Hezekiah's time, some good things were happening. One, he revived the army. He revived the defense forces of his. He supplied them with arrows. He supplied them with boulders and things to throw and attack the enemy. He was preparing the people. He made them shields and gave them shields. Now, what he was trying to do, he was strengthening the military. Is it a good or bad idea? It's a good idea. Why it is a good idea? Because to keep himself secure, he needs forces to keep the country safe. So he was building it. But you need to understand that the threat is from the king of Assyria. The threat is from king of Assyria. So who is, um, uh, there was an Assyrian king called Sargon. If Sargon had made him a vassal, that means he made him pay tribute year after year after year. You have to send certain amount of gold and silver to the king so that he will not attack you and kill you. So that is what he was doing. But when Sargon died, Sinakarib took over. When Sinakarib took over, when the king changes over a kingdom, that is the time the little kings will try to rebel and proclaim freedom. They proclaim freedom. They don't want to serve the king anymore. They will test the new king by rebelling against. So Hezekiah also had a choice, a chance to rebel. Why? Because Sargon has died. Now Sinakarib has taken over. So what happens to the new king? He wants to say that he is the boss. So what he will do? He will go around all the kingdoms that his father owned, with his, march out with his army, everywhere go defeat the king to let them know that they have to keep paying the money to him. That is to say that I, have, I am still powerful, you need to obey me. So this Sinakarib had come and he defeated 46 towns in Judah and captured them. And now he was at a place called Lachish, which is about 30 miles from Jerusalem. And from there he sends a team of three people and some soldiers to tell Hezekiah to surrender. To tell Hezekiah to surrender. I tell you, this is the strategy of the enemy. The devil has the same strategy to attack each one of us. He doesn't want to fight us. He doesn't come suddenly appear there and say, come on, let us fight. He doesn't say that. Why? If you say in the name of Jesus, he is going to be defeated. But you are not saying it. When you don't say it, you don't see the victory. See, this is what we need to understand. There is power in the name of Jesus. And Satan will not come and directly fight you for a fist fight or a I mean, close combat. He never comes to you. This is his strategy. He will put fear in your heart. He will put words. He will speak words that will make you discouraged. And when you are discouraged, then you will say there is no point in fighting. Now this Sinakarib is such a powerful king. He has, no one has stopped him from his place until now. No king has defeated him. And captured 46 of the cities in Judah. Now he's coming wanting to attack Jerusalem. And he's telling him, okay, why should I defeat you? Because when he threatened him once, what did Hezekiah do? When Sinakarib first gave him, uh, came attacked him, uh, he gave him, he said, move away from me. I will do whatever you impose, I will give. He gave him 30 talents of gold and 300 talents of silver. If you want to convert it into our language, one ton of gold 
and 30, uh, 10, uh, 10 tons of silver. How much is that? I was just Googling yesterday again. How much gold is in reserve by different countries? United States of America has eight tons. India has only 600 or 700 tons. How much does New Zealand have, you know? You'll be surprised. Zero. Our country has no reserves. I don't know the financial policy, but they don't want to put any money into gold. Because gold is such that you can, anytime you want money, you can sell it to anybody who wants it and you have money immediately. But I don't understand the politics fully yet. So, but I was just looking at the facts as the Google tells me. You know, this is what I <laughs> learned from Google. But the point I'm trying to make is some of the countries today don't have so much of gold with them, which he demanded from Hezekiah thousands of years ago. That means it was a very huge sum. If it is a very huge sum, you have to tell it your people to give money every year, taxation, and that will go to Assyria. So people, will they be happy? No. But they will be under heavy, heavy oppression. And when Hezekiah wanted to rebel against Assyria, he did a good thing. But how can a small king rebel against a big king, like king of Assyria? Satan is the same. From the creation, he has been the same. He has been deceiving. He deceived Eve and deceived Adam, and he continues to deceive. His strategies have not changed. He tried to do the same thing with Jesus Christ. He did not come to Jesus and say, let's fight today, okay? Take this word. I have one sword. Let us fight. He didn't do that. He said, what do you want? I'll give you the whole world. You just bow down and worship me. So, so many times we are bowing down to many things in our life. It can be our job. It can be the money. It can be power. It can be uh, position. It can be anything, influence. You know, or what is the idol that we are bowing to? That's something we need to question ourselves. Fame, name, appreciation, whatever is the thing that we are looking for, that is the area he knows. He knows your weakness and he'll offer you the same thing. He knows your weakness, he offers you the same thing. For some people, it can be even immorality, sexual immorality. He knows if it's their weakness, he'll offer it. He will offer it. Whatever is your weakness, he knows it because he has studied billions of people. He knows their behavior. He knows how the people think. They, when you look at somebody in the, in the street, you say, oh, this man looks like somebody whom you know already, you know? You compare like that. You look at a lady, ah, oh, I know one lady who, who, she exactly looks like her. You know, you think like that. When devil looks at you, how many people he will be knowing like that? When he, with the way you think, the way you behave, he knows. Don't, I don't need to worry. I know this person is like that person, like that person, like that person. So he comes with strategies to tempt you to bow down to him to tempt you to bow down to him. But when you stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, he has to run. I tell you, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Power in the name of Jesus. So now, what we need to understand is, Psalm 46 verses 1 to 3, when you read it, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. This is basically, King Hezekiah was not only a king, he was also a poet like his grandfather David. So probably he has set these things to music and wrote this psalm. Why? Because he also had gone through some sickness. He recovered from it. This King Sennacherib came and attacked him, wanted to attack him, decimate him, completely make him zero, take away every person from the king of Judah, um, from the kingdom of Judah, and take them away as prisoners to Assyria. But God delivered him. So he, he sat down to write this psalm. I'm not surprised about it. So the big words that he uses here, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea. That means he's, the, the, the tumultuous experience that he has from the enemy can be put into these words. You know, poetically, when you want to do things, you'll exaggerate as well. So he says, the events that he's going through, they are like, they are like earth giving way. It's just like an earthquake. The earth is splitting be, be under your foot. 
or it can be as strong as like a mountain falling into the heart of the sea. You pull up, you pull up the whole mountain, Mount Everest, throw it to the heart of the sea. Can you imagine like that? What is your problem? How big is it? How big is your problem? Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. Because he, what the psalmist is saying is, God is our refuge. What is the refuge? When you are threatened, you will go under and you will hide there. Until the calamity passes, until the trouble passes by. You can stay there safe. In fact, did not Jesus say, when he looked at Jerusalem, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I long to protect you. How I long to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. What, when, you, when, the, when the hen sees a, a vulture or an eagle in the sky, what does it do? It just makes a noise which the chicks understand wherever they are, 10 meters away, 15 meters away. When the mother makes the noise, cuck, 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 that all of them they come running under the wings. It just holds the wings like this. They come and hide under the wing. God is calling us today to make him his refuge so that the enemy cannot touch you. That's the reason why he says, therefore we will not fear. Say to your neighbor, I will not fear. Say it stronger. The enemy can come roaring at you, but you don't, not, don't have to fear. So now what happens here? When you read, see the background to uh, the, my message, where is the background thing? I forgot to put it here, I think. Okay. Um, King Hezekiah had a lot of problems. One of the things is he inherited not only a disorganized realm, but a grievous burden of Assyrian dominance and tribute, and a constant peril and suspense of great, greater encroachments from that arrogant and arbitrary power. So you have a threatening power. It is always wanting to put under its foot and, you know, smash you up completely. That's what he is facing. Hezekiah began with the most pressing constructive need, opening and cleansing of the temple, which his father Ahaz had left closed and desecrated. Second Corinthians 28-24. Then you have this man. He appointed a Passover observance, which on a scale and spirit unknown since Solomon. Second Chronicles 30 and 26. Religion was the down point, at the, at the downest point, the lowest point. There was no Passover from the time of King Solomon. So many kings have gone through, but no one has revived and made them observe the Passover until Hezekiah restored Passover and enabled people to celebrate Passover. So he was having a, a, a double job, not just rule the kingdom, but to revive the religion of the people to bring a revival in the hearts of the people. He was working for both. And he did one more thing. The breaking up of the Moses' old brazen serpent and calling it what it had to mean, Nehustan, a piece of brass, 2 Kings 18.4. When the fiery serpents appeared in the desert and bit the Israelites, they were dying, left, right, center. And Moses cried to God. God said, make a serpent of bronze. Lift it up on a pole. If anybody is bitten, they can come and look at that bronze snake, they will live. There's no medicine, there's no chanting, nothing. Just look at the serpent that's lifted up. That person will live, not die. Now that happened 700, 800 years before. And then slowly and slowly and slowly, people start making offerings to this bronze serpent. They made an idol and they were worshipping. I am sure it was there during King David's life. It was there during Solomon's time. Probably the, without their knowledge, worship must be going on at that time. Or maybe it was not there during their lifetime, but afterwards it became more worse. But when King Hezekiah came to know that they are offering sacrifices to Nehushtan, the bronze serpent, he destroyed it. He cut it to pieces, made rubbish, threw it out. You think that's easy? It's not easy, not an easy job. So this man was determined to follow God, determined to please God. But does bad things happen, do bad things happen to a religious person? Possible, yes. Is it without the knowledge of God? No. So what happened is when 
Sinakarib came first time and attacked him. He said, move away from me. He said, give me 30 talents of gold, 300 talents of silver. So where is the gold? He didn't have enough gold. So from his house, he took the gold, his personal gold. All that is in the kingdom, he took it. Not enough. He went to the temple and stripped the doors of the temple and the pillars of the temple, removed the gold and gave it to the king, king of Assyria. It is the lowest point of faith. Lowest point of faith. Just touching God's king, I mean, his temple, removing gold from the temple and giving it to king of Assyria. Now, that is a very low point. Why do I say it? Here is the king of Assyria threatening his existence and the whole kingdom. He can wipe out the whole, whole kingdom. Nothing has happened. No one has come to his rescue. Prophet Isaiah has not come to his rescue. Then he thought, well, maybe God is not going to deliver me from this problem. Let me do what I can. What did he say? Let me do what I can. In fact, there are certain um, archaeological excavations which are in the British Museum, which is written by Sinakarib. The tablet written by Sinakarib. It says, I caged the king of Judah like a bird is caged inside. I put him in a cage. He said, I put king of Hezekiah like I put him in a, a bird is put in a cage. What is the cage that the enemy is putting you? That's my question. What is the cage that the enemy has put you in? In the name of Jesus, I'm not just preaching. In the name of Jesus, right now, I break that cage over your life. If that word is for you, say amen more stronger. I break that cage right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. He cannot I mean, put you in a cage anymore. He cannot put you in a cage anymore. And I tell you, this is how we need to be preaching. This is how we need to be preaching. And the king of kings said, I have put him in a cage. Enemy does the same. The Satan strategy is the same. And the king of Assyria stands for Satan here. Every time you think of Assyria, think of Satan. What he did to what he did to the people of Judah. Same strategy he follows to the children of um, um, Christians today, the believers. So he puts you in a cage. He makes you fearful. He says, now there's no hope for you. There's no one who's going to come and deliver me. There's no one to help me. I am helpless. I'm in darkness. I don't have strength. I don't have wisdom. My eyes are growing dim. He will make you feel more pathetic. If you are in that condition, Rise up and tell the Lord, Lord, you are my strength, you are my refuge, I will not be afraid. Amen. So this is what Psalm 46 meaning is. This is how you understand Psalm 46. Though the waters roar and foam and the mountain quakes with, it, with their surging, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. And there's again political pressure. Political pressure is there's always temptation for the Israel of, nation of Israel to seek help from a stronger country nearby. So Egypt was strong. Every time they, even though God delivered them from Egypt through the hand of Moses and they set them free, gave them their own land, they always wanted to run to Egypt. And I tell you that greatest temptation for a Christian is to go back to the sins from which he has been delivered. You want to revisit your past. I, you sometimes will be people when they give their testimony. I was a horrible sinner. There's no, no problem with it. But they take pride. I was drinking so much. I was smoking so much. I was using so much. What are you boasting about? It's your past. Don't visit it with pride anymore. It's like rubbish to you. You got no connection with it. But I tell you, people usually will be connecting with their past. And then they say, first they'll appreciate it. Mm, you know how much I was drinking? When you think about it, he will again capture you back and put you in the cage. He'll, he will capture you and put you in the cage. Why? You're taking pride in the past sin. When you do that, he knows, okay, he still likes it. I will give him what he wants. Because he likes it, I'll give him what he wants. So this is a strategy. We need to resist it. We should tell our heart. When it is trying to take pride in the past, it should tell the heart. Heart, 
That's not your past. That is your past, not your present, not your future. Holiness, holiness, holiness. That's your future. That's your present. So they always were going, looking forward for help from Egypt, and he had to stop this party. You know, you got your kingdom, you got thousands of people there, and some of them say, "Let us go to Egypt and ask him for help." You will have shut up, and they can revolt against you. But that is again, you have problem inside, you have problem outside, you got everywhere problem. So King Hezekiah had to fight all these different forces. Inside resistance, outside. Sinakareb, and then you have many other problems. How much threatened? How much of the way they were threatened is like this? These three people, the field commander comes. Rapshake is the Assyrian title. Rapshake and two other people come. They come up to the aqueduct. That means there was no resistance. They could walk into the city of Jerusalem, almost to the border of it, stand there where the waters are, can be cut off into the city or do whatever, and they are standing there and talking to these people. Go and tell King Hezekiah. This is. How dare you rebel against me? What is your confidence? Are you relying on Egypt? It's like a broken reed. If you put your hand on it, it will pierce your hand. It's not going to help you. Was it true? The words are true. Because Assyria had a lot of power. But the problem there with the Assyria is they boasted too much about their strength, and they put down the God of Jacob. They put down the God of Israel. He said, "Who is going to deliver you?" Did any god of any country deliver their country from my hand? No. How do you expect your god to deliver from my hand? He said he is more stronger than Yahweh. He is more stronger than God of Hezekiah, God of Israelites. That's a mistake. That's the mistake. And what did God do? He showed his strength to Assyria. And when 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 they came and spoke these things. And they gave, delivered the letter to King Hezekiah. The three people who heard these words, they take the letter and give it to Hezekiah. Hezekiah goes into the temple of God, tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and spreads the letter before God. Oh God, you surely heard these words of this man. How he is talking with pride. How he is insulting you, O living God. Do something about this man. Do something about his words. And when he was praying in the temple, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, and says. Go give him the word. He will not shoot an arrow here. He will not come here. He will not conquer you. I will put a hook in his nose and I'll draw him the way he came and I'll take him to his own country and I'll get there. I will get him killed. There I'll get him killed. And then what happens? He hears a rumor that some other from Ethiopian king is marching against him in war. So he didn't want to have two wars. One side Judah, another side the Ethiopian king. So he he tells this guy, no, don't be too much uh, comfortable about it. Don't smile. I'm going to come back. Don't worry. I will finish you off. But right now I'm going away. But before he went that night, God sent an angel. Who did he say? Say God sent an angel. One more time, stronger. Sometimes we ignore the ministry of angels. I tell you, if you are a believer, you must rejoice. Because God always sends angels to rescue you, to help you. So that angel, one angel, he put to death one hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrian soldiers that night. How many people? One hundred and eighty-five thousand. Entire army is gone. Assyria is reduced to nothing. Did Hezekiah or his men shoot an arrow at Assyria? No. They built the arms. They built um, uh, the shields. They made arrows. They made different weapons. Was it required? When you trust in God, when you trust in God, and Hezekiah had that kind of a trust. When he trusted God, God fought for him. So the battle belongs to God, not to you. So whatever crisis you are going through, however severe it is. It may be threatening your bread and water. It can be threatening your own health. It can threaten your life. But if you put your trust in God, the help will come. Now read Psalm forty-six. When you see, read Psalm forty-six. It says, um, in verse five, God will help her at the break of day. God will help her at the 
Break of day. What is a break of day? Before it is morning, help will come. Sometimes that morning can be a little delayed. I need to be more realistic. This is poetry. This is poetry. We are worshipping God. We are praising God. We will use superlatives. But in real life, is there a time of waiting? It is there. Before you see the breakthrough, there will be a time of waiting. But it depends on how strongly you believe. It depends on how strongly you stand. The enemy will retreat when you stand. When you take your stand, the enemy will retreat. So enemy always will assess you. He will assess you. What is his strength? How many days is he going to stand up? You know, when you are in war with another country, there's a word called staying power. Staying power. Let's take you two countries like India and Pakistan. What is the staying power of Pakistan? Three days. At the most, five days. Afterwards, they don't have ammunition to fight India. Let's say India has ammunition that can fight for two weeks or one month. So who is going to win? The one who has staying power, isn't it? So enemy comes to assess your staying power. He will test you. He will test you. When, what is your breaking point? When will you be broken? He knows you and he puts up forces against you. But your breaking point is also the breakthrough point. Your breaking point is also your breakthrough point. Tell your neighbor, the breaking point is my breakthrough point. So he will assess and try to put forces against you. But increase your staying power. How do you increase your staying power? By fixing your eyes on Yahweh. By fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is the victorious one. As you put, fix your eyes on Jesus, your staying power increases. In fact, I tell you, the enemy knows that when you're staying in Jesus, when your life is hid with Christ, when he is your strength, he is your wisdom, he is your redeemer, he is your redeemer, he is your strength, he is your bread, he is your water, he is everything to you. Enemy knows, I will not fight this guy anymore. There is no point in fighting this man. But what will be his strategy? He will again come slowly, look at your weakness and try to attack you through weakness. He never comes to attack you against your strength. He will again come against you through point of weakness. Not Alcohol is not everybody's weakness. No one can tempt me with alcohol. Okay? You give me any number of bottles, I'll never touch it. Or someone, alcohol can be his point of weakness. Even if a small bottle, he will slowly, slowly go towards it and you know try to take it. Why? That's his weakness. So he will not attack me with alcohol. But he can attack me through maybe money or something else. Power. I need to be on my guard. I need to be on my guard. And know my weakness. And strengthen where you are weak. Strengthen your position where you are weak. When you strengthen yourself in the area of your weakness, then you will, you will increase your staying power. And when your staying power is increased, the enemy will fight and fight and fight, but he will not be able to overcome you. Why? Because you have taken precaution at the point of weakness. Many preachers are falling today. Fiery messages they can give. Devil is not worried. He looks at you, assesses you. Oh, what is his weakness? Okay. I won't challenge him in his area of strength, but I'll challenge him in the area of weakness. And Hezekiah's weakness was he did not have enough strength army. Even though he was strong enough to defeat Philistines, he's not strong enough to defeat Assyria. So your strength can be sufficient to do something, but may not be sufficient to do more. So you need to know your strength. But when you are in Christ Jesus, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. Amen? Amen. So if you believe it and you live in it, you, enemy cannot touch you. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that is going to make you strong. This psalm is a very messianic psalm. Many things written in this psalm are not fulfilled yet. For example, it talks about in verse 4. There is the river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. It's not yet over. It's in the book of Revelation chapter 21. There is a river that is making the city of God glad. That is like crystal clear flowing like a crystal clear river. 
and that will satisfy the thirst of everyone. And that is the future. There was no river in Jerusalem that he can talk about it here. So the point I'm trying to make is you need to see what is true about what he's writing. It is not true, it's prophetic about future. It talks to you, the word talks to you to the present time, it talks to you about the future time. That's prophecy. How do you understand the Bible? If it doesn't make sense for the present, it will make sense for the future. It will make sense for the future. So that is how you need to study the word. So here, Hezekiah had done something beautiful in his time. There are no rivers there. So he dug some kind of a canal connecting some reservoir of water. So that in times of crisis like this, when Assyria comes and attacks all around, sets up a siege, seizing the city, no one can go out, no one can come in. There won't be food coming out, food going in. Water is the most important thing. So he, he dug canals that will bring water into the city so that they can stay alive in times when they are seized by the enemy. Now seizing, when, when, a, when a city comes and see, when, when Assyrians came and seized Samaria, the northern Israel, they set seize for three years. After three years, the city fell to them and they took over. So that's why I say staying power is important. How long can you stay when your trouble doesn't go away in a day? Your trouble doesn't go in a week. Trouble doesn't go in a month. Can you stay for one month? Can you stay for three months? Can you stay for one year? Can you stay for 10 years? Because I know some people who are waiting for a breakthrough for 10 years or more. But when we know our God, we will stay strong. We will not give in to the enemy's tactics. We will not give in to enemy tactics. I think it's time for me to close. <laughs> Let me see. So we have to remember the three things in verse 1. That is, he is our refuge, he is our stronghold, fortress, ever-present help. That means a, pre a help that is at hand. You can reach out and take it. It's not something you have to go looking for it when you're in trouble. Oh, I'm in trouble now. Where is my help going to come? Let me go search for it all over the city of Christ. No, he's an ever-present help. He's just ha at hand. You stretch your hand, the help is near to you. It's as close as that. Verse 2 and 3, th things uh, not to fear. Well, this I think we did already. So this talks about, again, the prophetic thing, Zechariah 14.8 and Ezekiel 47 and 1. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. Now, this is something mind-blowing to me. I was thinking about it. How can this happen? How is God going to do it? How in the city of Jerusalem, in the, from the temple, river is going to flow? It's on a mountain. When Moses was in the wilderness. When the people complained for water, what did God say to Moses? First time he said, go and strike the rock. I'll show you the rock. You go and strike it, water will come. And he went and struck the rock, the water came. A second time when they had the same situation, people wanted to even stone Moses to death. And Moses cries to God. And what does God say? I will show you a rock. Go and speak to the rock. Water will come out. And Moses, what did he do? He went and struck the rock. And God said, because you did not honor me before Israelites, you will not enter the promised land. The rock needs to be struck only once. And Jesus is the rock. He's already struck once upon the cross. Now anymore, you don't need to strike that rock anymore. You only speak to the rock, and it will satisfy your thirst. It will flow out of that, from that cross will flow rivers of living water. You need to speak to the cross. You need to speak the power of the cross into your life for the water to gush out and satisfy you. It will be so on the day when Jesus Christ comes back. The water will flow from the, from the temple of Jerusalem because Jesus will speak, and the water will come out of the temple. You flow like a river. You flow like a river. You flow like a river. Streams in the desert. You need to speak. Learn to speak. You don't need to strike anymore a second time. That's the reason why Moses lost the, uh, the privilege of entering into the promised land. If you are going to complain about it, about a situation, and you want to be drastically taking a stick and hitting at it, 
God is not, you are not honoring God. You speak to the mountain. You speak to the rock. The Bible always says speak. What does the Bible say? Speak. Speak to your situation. In the name of Jesus, I command my situation to change. In the name of Jesus, I command the doors to open. In the name of Jesus, I want the situation to change. Finances to come. Many times I pray for people. I say in the name of Jesus, let the finances come from the four corners of the world. In the name of Jesus. As you're hearing my words, it's prophetic in your life. I'm not standing here to say things because I had to say as a preacher. No, that's not my job. I'm here to say the living words of God. In the name of Jesus, I command the finances to come to you from the four corners of the world. It shall come. It shall come. Because these words I stand in the name of Jesus I speak to you and it shall come. Health will come to you. The breakthrough will come to you in the name of Jesus. Why? You have that answer in that cross. That rock has been struck once. Now you don't need to strike anymore. You only speak to the rock and it will flow, it will flow, it will flow like a mighty river into your life. So now all that you need to do is to speak and claim the power of the cross. Jesus, you have been struck once for me. Now you make the rivers of living water flow out of me. Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, out of his will, belly will flow rivers of living water. You will become the rock. You will become the rock, giving out living waters. So Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make the city of God glad. You just meditate upon the rest of it. One thing that we need to close here is the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is a fortress. You see that in verse 11. You see that in verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord is with us. Elohim Imanu. Elohim Imanu in Hebrew means God is with us. And the name of Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. If God is with us, Assyria cannot topple you. Assyria cannot terminate your life. Assyria cannot topple you. It cannot destroy you anymore. In the name of Jesus, I speak to the Assyria that is invading your life. I speak to Assyria that's trying to crush you. I speak to Assyria that's trying to destabilize your life. In the name of Jesus, be defeated right now in Jesus' mighty name. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. You are with us. You are in us. Thank you. You are our refuge. You are our fortress. We thank you, Jesus. We shall not be afraid. Even though the enemy wants to put us in the cage, we will not be afraid. Because no cage can bind us in the name of Jesus. We are free. We stand free in the name of Jesus. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. Because you are with us, you are in us. In the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone who is listening to my voice. I speak that the breaking point shall become the breakthrough point in Jesus' mighty name. Whatever is breaking them, let that become a breakthrough point for them in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, every case be broken upon everybody who is listening to this prayer. Let every case be broken upon their lives. Let them be set free in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I pray that you'll visit everybody. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing this prayer. Now it's time for action. Whatever situation you're going through, you want this God to set you free. You want this God to touch you. You want this Lord God to make his face shine upon you, to shine the torch into your darkest point of life. Just Stand where you are. Just stand where you are. I'm going to ask the Lord to, and pray for you. You are wanting this cage to be broken. You want this bondage to be broken. The chains to be broken. You want the, the torch to be shine, to shine into your darkest points in your life. Just stand where you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else quickly? Kuro Shabastaroni, Rihana Sere, 
منارا ہست کرو سبورونی شار را خاندہ باسترو ری باش سست کرونی somebody support the people who are standing just can lay your hand upon them join them and we will pray now kubra kana sandarasta kirse mere thank you jesus hallelujah 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 kurosha kosta boroni sarananda saboroni shakarasta koroni rirahasharasta bereni in the name of jesus christ of nazareth in the name of jesus christ of nazareth Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the children who are standing. In the name of Jesus, I bind you, Satan. I bind you, Prince Pratipa, Rose of Darkness. Every familiar spirit, I bind you right now in the name of Jesus. And I command you to take the hands of these children. They belong to Jesus. Jesus has bought their freedom. You cannot put them in the cage. I break that cage right now in Jesus' mighty name. You cannot put chains upon their lives, their hands and feet. I break those chains in Jesus' mighty name. You cannot put darkness upon them. I say, let the light of the Lord shine into their life right now. Let the light of God shine upon them. Let the glory of Christ come upon them. Let the power of the Holy Ghost come upon your children. Refresh them, touch them, break the chains of God, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Heal them, deliver them. Let them see that you are a good God. Give them an opportunity to taste and see that you are good. Be thou their refuge and their fortress, to the glory of your name. Be their ever-present help, O God, that they may know that you are only at the, as they stretch their hand, they will be able to touch you in the time of crisis. Lord, may your favor be upon them. I bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I speak breakthrough for them in Jesus' mighty name. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.